start jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening. Whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the event horizon where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I am your host, Gene Turnbow. Your other host, Susan Fox, is not with us this evening. But the person who is with us is Gregory A. McMartin of Interdimensional Games. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Gene. Awesome to be here. Hey, everybody. Yeah, it's, uh, this is, I lost track of how many times you've been back, but I have to tell you, every time you're on, it's always fun. We always <laughs> talk awesome. about, we always talk about neat stuff. And yeah. this week we get to talk about some really bizarre stuff that's been going on. And uh, I, I'm really interested as a professional developer in your opinions. <laughs> mm-hmm. On uh, And I, I'm pretty sure you know exactly what Unity. I'm talking about. Yeah, Unity. <laughs> your your um, yeah. game consortium is not built on Unity, is it? Nope. Unreal. Unreal 4. And Do- Unreal, yeah, Unreal 4. Dodged a bullet. You sort of. Uh, Whispers <laughs> from the Rift, which is a game we announced a long time ago. And it's, it's got its own page. And it's got a stream team page. And it's like a prequel to all our consortium games. It uses Unity. Um, so we've actually been looking into possible alternatives of ways to port it. Um, uh, but mind you, we're not super concerned about the terms because uh, we're relatively small. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know that, but at the same time, I'm watching what's happening, and clearly right now there's someone, there's people in the boardroom at Unity working out how to how to salvage the mess they created because <laughs> this... they did this to themselves. They let themselves on fire with a really they boneheaded did. announcement. They and... did shades <laughs> of Wizards of the Coast. I mean, we oh. just went through this with Wizards of the Coast in January. Where uh, I missed that that bit of news actually. Yeah, yeah well, they they tried to pull the rug out from under the uh, tabletop gaming community in much the same way that uh, Unity is trying to do with the uh, uh, computer gaming community. Mm-hmm. They decided that the open gaming license, which had always been open and had been guaranteed by its authors to always apply. Uh, was suddenly not going to apply anymore. They were going to retroactively nullify it after everybody had been using it for like a dozen years to yep. publish their games. That does and, sound very similar. Yeah. And uh, that anybody who was using Wizards of the Coast intellectual property at this point, which meant the basic rule set, uh, was going to be in violation of their copyright if they didn't stop. You wow. can imagine how well that went over. Yeah. Well, it, it, so there's user communities that are using the rule set like publicly in public games. And yeah, like yeah. That? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Wow. Well, you can't copyright rules for starters. Yeah, no, <laughs> you can't. You can't copyright game rules. That's that's illegal. Huh. Uh, but uh, they were going to try to claim uh, all of the content that wasn't actually rules 
They were going to try to claim trademark and copyright on all of that and forbid anyone from using that terminology, huh. which basically meant shutting down um, like 90% of the games on the market like overnight to like destroy, wow. destroy the tabletop industry overnight. That's, and that's horrible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, awful. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty deplorable, all right. <laughs> and uh, they ended up uh, having to walk it back. Like, like they, they, they did the worst possible thing they could, which was stay silent for like two weeks without making a statement. Unity at least walked it back within like five days. <laughs> well, they said, that, oh, we're sorry. We screwed up. We're going to figure something out, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And now, now yeah. they have yeah. a, they have a, they're proposing a 4% revenue cap, you know, so, and, yeah. and, and voluntary reporting, but, Which, the, but the damage is done, man. Well, it's a trust <laughs> thing, right? Yeah. For sure. That's yeah. Exactly once, once you've done that, you know, there, there's, nobody's going to trust them not to try it again. Yeah, that's that's really the issue for sure. Yeah, when someone's the more more entrenched people are into a platform, the more they kind of have less no choice but to just go along with whatever terms are given to them, um, because they have too much momentum, too much understanding of how to do what they need to do with their tool set. People that are real, that, I know so many developers that have you know have been sunk ten, fifteen years into Unity pretty much since it launched, and are now just have no choice to just go okay, like I'm not going to change. I can't I can't do that. It's too much too much effort and work to change. So I think Unity kind of. I think they kind of knew this, you know, anticipated it to a certain extent that enough people would stay on and they'd, uh -huh. they'd be able to, to float this somehow. But um, I'm very curious to see what they <clears throat> what they come back with. Let's put it that way. Like, yeah. The, well, John, John Ricci Tiello is the CEO and chairman of yes. Unity Technologies, and yeah. he tried to do the same thing at Electronic Arts and very nearly tanked them over the same sort of thing. Uh, they were he was going to charge. Um, uh, he was going to. Asking why they weren't able to charge players for ammunition for their shooters. Oh God! Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Such a, that's a wow. Yeah. <laughs> like a microtransaction, right? You yeah. Buy, you yeah. Buy, you, buy, oh, buy you, you can't. You, money. Yeah. You, yeah. You're out of ammo. That, that, tough. You got to buy ammo yeah, yeah, to play yeah. the game. Yeah. No and uh, didn't go over well. I mean, that's. That, <laughs> I, think, I think you know, yeah. People in those positions, they're they're kind of they're kind of isolated, and they're they're fed information from their. From their you know, reports, and they're really kind of off the library tower, right? And I don't think that they're really, they really understand how their product is being used by the masses. Like they have a gigantic number of user bases, but a large chunk of that is certainly indie and hobbyist developers, right? Oh um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, so, and, uh, off of whom they are making no money. Um, you know, yeah, it, the, yeah. The 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 yeah. problem was that uh, yeah, they weren't making money. Yeah, really. Unity they're, they're Unity is like crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Unity's bleeding money like crazy, and they yeah. have to. They have. They, this was a desperation move, and it sure sure smells like one. It sure does. Yeah. And uh, you know, if they'd if they'd uh, been team players and come to the community and said, look, you know, we're stuck between a rock and a hard place here. We've got to do something, or your your favorite game development platform is going to slip beneath the waves. What can we work out? What would be, what would be okay with you? I mean, I know, you know, this is going to cause huh. everybody pain, cool. but what do we do? We have to fix this and That'd we need so your help. Cool. If the corporation did that. <laughs> that would be amazingly, um, just, yeah, that, that shows goodwill from a corporation's mm -hmm. perspective to the, to the consumers using their, 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 their stuff using their, and you know, it doesn't happen very often. You know, this is kind of like old school corporation one-on-one stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, exactly. Where they, pull, they, they pull a move. But I, I do think that, you know, there's, there's a whole generation growing up that doesn't stand for a lot of that stuff. You know, the younger kids and whatnot, they, they see through this. So that's, you know, they weren't anticipating. I don't think they anticipated what would ha what happened. So, um, 
well, I guess we'll see how far they what they what they come back with. I, I imagine they're kind of doing what you just said now after the fact. <laughs> they're probably fielding all kinds of oh yeah possibilities from all kinds of people for alternative ideas. Like, yeah, you know ex- I mean? ex- but you're right; they would have prevented their stock market, you know, crash and all kinds of other stuff if they had done mm-hmm. what you suggested. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think their share their share price is like thirty five dollars a share at the moment. <laughs> it's yeah, I mean, it's not good. Put a bit, right? Not good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, let me let me actually check that. That's. Uh, See Unity stock price at thirty one. Oh, they were at thirty four. Now they're at thirty one. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it's still they're still it's in. Still yeah. Tanking. That, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's tanking. That's that's the Reperc- uh, repercussions of what they're what they're doing. So they're, they're down more than two points yeah. in just one day. It's because like when I looked yesterday, it was at thirty four. Now it's at thirty one. So it's nuts. It's nuts. Yeah. I mean, you know what? I, I remember when I first looked at Unity for Whispers from the Rift. I remember looking at the terms and going, "What? <laughs> like, there's no I can just get it, use it for free, and then I can charge people to to to, to buy this game, and I don't have to." And it was all very loosey goosey, like mm-hmm. you know. And and there wasn't, and that to me was always a bit of a back of my brain, a, a alarm bell of this can't be sustainable. Yeah, right? and eventually these guys are going to come and change the terms, right? Yeah, and it and it's not yeah. surprise, surprise, yeah. surprise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's. Uh, <laughs> Their uh, their big money flow comes from advertising, uh, yes, not absolutely. not uh, not game development revenues, mm-hmm. and uh, that's how the game developers and there's a coalition of about five hundred of them now that have all signed on to this petition, you know, mm-hmm. against Unity, and they've all said, uh, you know, we're not doing this, and at least sixteen of the biggest ones are saying. We are turning off uh, uh, the game metrics. You know, we're not using we're not using your metrics system anymore, and we're going to turn off advertising. So immediately, uh, Unity's the money that they did have uh, dried up overnight. So, <laughs> yep, it's not looking good. Right. Looking good. You know, as contrasted to Unreal Engine, where. Uh, a huge proportion of their funding comes from the motion picture industry. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they diversify they're, quite a bit. Also Fortnite. <laughs> yeah, and, well, and Fortnite. Uh, yeah, they make their own games, which is which is a great thing, and Unity doesn't, does not do that. Nope, uh, exactly. That's another, was always another red flag, red flag for me, but using Unity and diving <clears> into that ecosystem. It was for that reason, exactly. I, tr- I just trust Epic. Tr- I just trust Epic more, uh, <laughs> quite frankly. You know, they, they've uh, been around for a long time. They've been developers forever. They've sort of switched... They switched gears, but they've just kind of steadily grown, and and their engine is as solid as ever. And Unreal Five is a is a, a true modern of modern technology. Unreal like Five Point Three is astonishing. It's amazing. It's so powerful, like it's just ridiculous what's possible now for individual creators to make whatever they can imagine in their head, like literally anything. <laughs> like you just, it's now there was a time like twenty years ago, making video games was all about working within constraints, right? It was all mm-hmm. about like you have all these crazy ideas in your head, but how do you get those into actual practical reality on the screen? Well, there's bajillions. Oh, problems you had to solve oh, <laughs> especially with screen. consoles uh, yes, uh you know back in the day a playstation yeah yep. the playstation yeah, console a, uh absolutely. it had texture memory which was separate from program memory oh, yeah. and it had oh, special yeah. processors that handled each kind yes. of memory that had yep. to talk to each other over interfaces and you had to know how to program those and yeah I mean, uh, and the whole thing yeah 
Yeah, the PlayStation 2, I'll never forget, there was a, there was a, at Radical working on Incredible Hulk Ultimate Destruction, uh, there was a programmer whose whole, pretty much whole full-time job was to look at memory management and to manage memory management on the project. So you had this huge board on the on the wall that listed all the stuff that the game had, all the game systems, and all, and it had, like the budgets for each. <laughs> so I remember coming in and oh, saying, yeah, memory hey, budget. My, my, yeah, I remember coming in and saying, hey, my level is crashing. And I was like, oh, you're going over the memory budget. I'm like, oh, crap. So I had to go I had to go and cut my, my mission script into two separate mission scripts entirely because mm. that, that way I could load enough into one. And then that was you know, a whole bunch of extra work. So, yeah, that's just a tiny little example of all the crap you had to deal with. But now it's ridiculous. You could just – it's actually kind of swung the other way now. Now it's so easy that you can, you can, you can very easily make – ungodly crappy code that's just horrendous in every conceivable way but but what you see on the screen looks amazing <laughs> there's well, a couple that, games that won't mention that have shipped like that whether mm-hmm. they've shipped they've done well but the actual code is a complete spaghetti mess of garbage because <laughs> it was made by artists not programmers <laughs> well, yeah. at all. well and that's that's the great thing about um unreal engine and unity and uh godot and uh, lumberyard and uh what is it F- fma Lumberyards. Lumberyard's a bit of a joke in the industry. No one uses them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uses, well, it, it was uh, it was forked exactly. from uh, uh, Chris Engine. Chris. Yep. Crisis. Crisis. Crisis Engine. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Crytek. Then, Crytek, which which was used to make Crisis games. The Crytek engine. Oh yeah, the Crytek engine. Which, which, and then Star Control also uses a, some kind. And of then it was open sourced, and then Not Star Control. And uh, then Star, Star Citizen. I mean. Yeah, and then yeah. was open sourced, and then it promptly lost all of its developers. So, yeah. The end. <laughs> yeah, there's so much wasted effort. The lumberyard was just, you know, it, it was all this yeah, I had such high hopes for it. I had such high hopes for it. Don't god millions were spent on that. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and and uh, you know, it's it's like one of those subscription features you can get on uh Amazon um web services now. You know, you can you can have yes. you can host you can host games made in lumberyard for free, I think. Okay. They're they're still trying to get people to use it and it's nobody's, yeah. nobody's using it. Nope. <laughs> uh, but the whole, the whole, um, uh, you and I both go way, 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 way back in the game yep. industry. And 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mid 90s. That's when yep. I was doing it. And Absolutely. back then, a game engine was something you wrote yourself. Yep. That's right. You know, 100%. Uh, the only games I worked on in the 90s were games that were, that were I was the, the, the programmers I was working with wrote the tech and I was just using the tools to make the content. 100%. That was all the way it was until. Into the 2000s, you start to see the mm-hmm. slow run. The source engine started getting licensed. Um, Unreal started getting licensed. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Unity came out in, what's it, 2008, 2009 or something like that? Yeah, the I, first think so. yeah maybe, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Right around in there. Yeah, yeah. I um, that took off pretty quick. Right around 2000, I was working for Sony Development, which is uh, it, not Sony Games, but Sony Development, which was the company <laughs> that created the Metreon in San Francisco. Oh, and, interesting. And we huh. made, yeah, it, would, it was supposed to be a location based entertainment company. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, like the VR companies that are that are around now. Yeah, yeah. So it, that, except this was arcade model. stuff. Model. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. So it, we we had a multiplayer um, uh, multiplayer game called Quaternia based on um, <laughs> uh, Mobius, Jerry uh, Cornelius's airtight garage. <laughs> yeah, it was based on that. Okay. And and uh, yeah, that w- it, those were fun times. Uh, I interviewed their. Uh, with the producer and, uh, you know, two weeks and, uh, he, he had said that the previous, uh, lead developer has had quit leaving no notes and they needed someone to come in and clean up the code. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I get in, um, I, I was hired for the job. And then two weeks later, I found out that the producer himself had quit leaving no notes. <laughs> oh boy. So yeah, I, I, 
I got into the code and I found out that the previous uh, developer did not know what version control was. <laughs> and, what? <laughs> and, that, uh. and that each time he made a revision, he commented out the previous block of code and left it in the source code. And at, at, yeah, as a result, I ended up wow. chopping, I, I think we had something like a quarter million lines of source code out of which I chopped 80,000 lines of commented out code. Right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, in those days, uh, you wrote your own engine and we had, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, we, we had to solve problems like, oh my God, it, this is. Uh, we are just right on the ragged edge of dropping frames here because we can't get the uh, packet information back and forth to the various machines fast enough. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so I, I went into it and I found out that they were trying to sling uh, um, uh, 20 megabyte packets. Every packet was 20 megabytes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> There's a problem. <laughs> There's your problem. Yeah. So, yeah. So. You know, I had to work Back out the, especially you know, and now, now yeah. you have uh, predictive algorithms like uh, uh, yeah. uh, player A is moving in a particular direction. Uh, and the last time you heard from him was like three seconds or like a, a second and a half ago, assuming he didn't change direction. This is where he would be now and render based on that guess. And usually it's right. And so you don't see much in the way of glitching. You know, if you can get if you can get that solved within, say, uh, 150 or 250 milliseconds, the player doesn't know the difference. Uh, but none of that was going on. And so I trimmed the packet size from uh, from megabytes to I think I got it down to about 256K per packet. And even that was big, but it solved the sync problem. Nice. So uh, when, when was this? When were you, when oh, this was uh, 1999 okay. to 2000, huh, right around cool. in there. Interesting. Was but that, these, these are the kind. Game industry gig? Was that did you leave the industry after that? Um, that? yeah, that was the last one. Yeah. Uh, because the the game industry kind of collapsed in Los Angeles around that time. Uh, and if you if you weren't if you didn't work on consoles, you weren't getting work because the mm. uh, the PC game industry had collapsed in, mm. in Los I, Angeles. I, that's right. I remember that time period. That was kind of just before Steam, right? So yeah, yeah PC yeah. gaming was definitely yeah, that's right. It was just, yeah, it was right before whatever, Steam. There was way less demand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Way way less demand. Mm -hmm. And that was also uh, right around that. That was the huge dot, dot com bubble crash happened right at that time too. So that's probably all yeah, a couple a couple years later. Yeah, the dot com thing was, well, was no, that was, that's 2000. Right. That was like that was like end of ninety nine two thousand, right? No, yeah, that's right. The dot com crash yeah. was happening at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, but those are the kinds of problems that uh, that game engines solve for you now. You don't have to worry about it. Oh, yeah. You end up yeah. concentrating on your story and your content, which yes. are which are king now. Indeed. Which Indeed. is why which is why consortium works so well and why it works so well in VR, because it is so solidly written. You know, Thank you, you. you don't use uh, uh, the most cinematic visual effects. <laughs> you know? Or, 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 or even uh, uh, like uh, 4K textures with retraced everything. You don't. Oh, yeah, you no, don't. Right. You guys don't do that in your game. No. But you no. don't have to because the focus isn't on that. Yeah. You, it's exactly. it's it's real enough that you accept it without thinking about it. Mm -hmm. But what you're concentrating on is the storyline and the AI and the way the characters interact with you and how the story evolves yep. based on your actions. 
And it's yes. it's really your uh, actions. Yeah, yes. your actions as the player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Actually being there. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, it, yeah, it's totally. this it's <laughs> instead of being on a rail the way you are with most uh with most computer games, instead your ball is this twisty ball of timey wimey stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, you just have to not just have to, but it's, it does take a paradigm. It's, it is a paradigm shift, a fundamental one, as I said before, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's completely different from regular computer games. Regular computer games, you are fundamentally separated. There's the screen of content, and then there's your interface mechanisms, your keyboard, your mouse, the controller, where you press buttons, and then things happen on the screen, right? And then that magic, you know, the idea is that the games are, those are, those are done so well, and there's so much going on, there's so much to look at that over time you can get pulled in and you start to forget the world around you. And you know, that's, mm-hmm. a traditional, that's a traditional computer game, right? Yeah, VR games offer the promise of you don't have to do any of that work. You don't have to have your brain work out how to how to have it so that the buttons you're pressing on the controller and the mouse and the keyboard are you know what they're doing with the screen. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff that that when gamers have already gotten really good at because games have existed now for a long time. So gamers are very used to the paradigm of the of that you know that separation. But that's what really bothers me is that so many gamers are getting used to that paradigm, <laughs> and that there's a whole other paradigm that is like a quantum leap mm-hmm. beyond that. Right, with that consortium is, I think, a first example of. Yeah, where, I, where you I really know exactly are in what the world, you're. As if you go into the, it's it's not as advanced, but it's somewhat vaguely similar to walking into the holodeck on the, on a galaxy class starship and saying, "Computer, build me a plane with a crew of twenty people," and it's like to list a bunch of stuff, and then boop, right? Suddenly, yeah. you have the plane, the people walking around, and here you are, and you, well, what are you going to do? Well, and you're not you're not so. exaggerating either, because uh, uh, consortium VR is the first game that I've ever played where instead of just like like every other game, like even uh, Baldur's Gate 3 has this, where you have a, mm-hmm. a menu selection of three or four different things you could choose to do. Uh, mm-hmm. And you have to click a mouse, you know, or press a yep. key or something. Yep. With Consortium VR, you just speak to the person you're talking to like you were there. Yeah. It was the most immersive freaking thing I had ever seen in a game. And I'm still blown away by it, and I'm still blown away by the fact that, to date, nobody else has, seems to have done it. And I, I w- have to wonder yeah. why that is. We, us too. <laughs> well, I think it's because it has to do with what I imagined in my head coming out of Radical in 2006. I was like, I was so sick of making the games I'd made. I just, I started conjuring up my head. I started like, what's possible? Where, where's the future going? Wait, what, what kind of, because I was, I was, you know, don't forget, I started off as a hardcore gamer mm-hmm. myself. So in the 80s and 90s, I, I hailed everything, all the RPGs, all the, the console RPGs, the PC RPGs, plus all the, all the action games, the Doom, the Quakes, the, 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 the Hexons, just like hundreds of games I would inhale and hail. So I had that sort of a backbone, right? But as I got in the industry and started doing stuff, I've always been very driven by what's possible, what's possible. And actually, there's a theme throughout my entire career, which is almost pretty much every game I've ever worked on has had some kind of big story element to it. Storytelling was always really key in my mm-hmm. brain. I, I loved movies. I loved films. I loved books. I really loved storytelling in general. And I was really – I've always been committed to figuring out what is the most powerful way to get storytelling into a video game so that that, interact, that, that, that interactivity that's inherent in video games is totally seamlessly blended with the storytelling aspect of it. Right? They're, they're, seem, they're, they're, they're one and the same. They're not separated. And what I'm seeing even in the most big, successful big games like Baldur's Gate 3 and Starfield, for that matter, right, is that they're, they're kind of doubling – these big companies are doubling down on the old systems of there's gameplay and then there's big cinematic where you watch a film, watch a movie for a little while, and then you're back to 
to the gameplay again. On top of, as you said, pressing buttons to have little lines of text blip, and then somebody says something in response. It's so you're so separated. You're not there. You're watching somebody else's production unfold itself in its predetermined manner by the developer. Period. Like everything is there. It's all just there for you to to discover on your own in your own way, just by pressing buttons and how things happen. Um, it, you know, whereas the, the paradigm shift with a game like Consortium is that you're just in this world. You can walk around wherever you want to in the world. There's people doing things. There, there. You're just you're just among. You're just one of the crew members. <laughs> so by by pretending, okay, I'm going to pretend I'm a crew member on this plane, and just have that little bit of thing in your brain, you start walking around and and just and just just to begin with, pretend these people maybe are real. If you do that and you keep going, I I think anybody would be on it will be on a journey that they've never had before in their entire lives in terms of interactive entertainment, right? It, it would be it literally it gives them a as, as I've heard from you say, right, and, and other people as well that have described it. I, I remember for the very first time demoing uh, Consortium VR. With with our financial or with our accountant guy, our accountant guy who's been who's been friends with him for years, but he's never actually played Consortium VR. So I popped the headset on his head, and ten seconds after he was talking to the character, his eyes widened. He's like, he took it off, and his wife was there. He said, "You gotta try this. You gotta try this right now," because he, something happened when he said that. When he said out loud a line, and that person responded, it was it was it was weird because he's like, "I don't normally speak like this." It was like it was like he was going out of his body, and and he was like allowed to say things to people that he would never say. Yeah, right? and, and, and that, yeah. that to me is what's really, really exciting about the potential of this type of entertainment is that it really does give people a safe space to be able to be in a in a mock social environment. People that otherwise maybe, um, you know, are awkward and have a hard time socially interacting very, very casually. But to be able to jump into the consortium game world, it, it, it really tries to prop you up and say you're a special person in this world. Everybody respects your opinion in this world. You're somebody very important in this world. Everybody is all around you is, is supporting that. And it's up to you to figure out what to do with that that kind of power that you have. In that social space, you have to figure out what kind of person are you? Are you someone that finds faults everybody around you? Are you find someone that kind of just goes along for the ride? Is like, yep, I'll do whatever you guys want me to do. Woohoo! Are you someone that just wants to rebel and wants to constantly chafe against what everybody's telling you to do? All those things are possible, and the game allows you. The game responds to those things, and I think pretty realistic manners, right? If you go against the grain heavily, you get people not liking you very much. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, and things like that, right? Well, it, it's, it's uh, perfectly viable. It, it's it's fun. worth noting that if you screw up enough, they will eject you out the airlock. <laughs> you can get ejected out the airlock. I I know this because it's happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. You were you were fighting with mercs and explosions went off and you were too close to the door and whoop, you're out. <laughs> uh, no, no. Um I think they decided I was I was so much of a bungler that I was too much of a threat to leave on the on the plane and they couldn't land it, so out I went. Well, they, 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 there's no, there's no actual thing. There's not that in the story. You can't, get, you can't, you can't get literally kicked out by the, by the consortium. But you can get kicked out of the consortium, right? There's a point where they go, "You're off the team," or whatever, right? You agree to be off the team. I don't know if you hit that part or not, right? Mm, um, you know, but I don't really, you can't, I don't you can't, really you can't remember. Get out. There is, a, there is a storyline in the game about someone that got kicked out of the airlock. Maybe that's what you're remembering. Wade talks about someone that he, he did kick someone out of the airlock supposedly, and that kind of comes up in conversation. Yeah, maybe um, that's what I'm remembering. I mean, uh, the, the, the immersive thing about the, the game is that. Uh, the the artificial response mechanism of of selecting responses and in, in pressing a key or or aiming yep. your cursor at at it and yep. and hit, pulling the trigger that's been stripped away and now you respond to it the way you do as a person and yep. this is exactly the same uh this is exactly the same mechanism i think is at work in novels where they hit the exposition too hard and it stops the action you're you're uh by doing that you're taking people out of the moment and uh and by having this verbal interface 
Nobody has to be pulled out of the moment in order to operate the game. So it becomes yeah, seamless. Right. It becomes a seamless yep. experience. Absolutely. That, that's that's 100% uh, that's been our goal all along. Is once you strap yourself in, you're just in that world now. And you can go as deep as you want to. You know, there's an entire like uh, there's an entire world console of of, of 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 information about the world you're in and the backstories and everybody on the plane around you. And you can really dive deep into that. And then you can go and ask questions about those things you found. And we've recently made heavy improvements to the Consortium script. The, the, the game that shipped in 2014 had a bunch of flaws in it that I think we fixed with Consortium VR. And by the way, since we last talked, we've announced a, a Consortium Remastered, which is a non-VR <laughs> build of Consortium for people that don't don't do VR, but it still allows, still still has voice, still supports voice. Oh, right? nice! So you can, nice. So you can still play through the game with your with the verbal interface. The only difference being, of course, you're you're you're, talk, you're yelling at, you're talking to your monitor or whatever, right? You're talking <laughs> to your TV screen, <laughs> as opposed to just being in VR talking to the person. So as long as you get around that, it's it's still exactly the same seamless experience where you can just you can sit back in your chair with your hands crossed and just ponder what you're going to say, say it, get a response, and just sit there relaxing, having a conversation, you know, and not touching any keys at all. And to me, that's like a a massive revolutionary. Whoa, you know, it's just huge. Right. I think, though, you could go back to your point as to why this hasn't caught on yet or why no one else has done it yet. Is it so far off in left field that the, the commercial I call it um, commercial momentum of the entire rest of the game industry and the genres and the games that have come before and the sequels and things like this have so much momentum. They've gotten so much critical mass that it's, it's very hard for any of those companies to 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 like drastically change course to, to something that offers way more potential. Right. They just can't because the, the business realities are what they are. People, people out there, the market understands games the way mm-hmm. they are, and they, they kind of human beings in general hate change, hate new things. So it's, it's well, especially it's especially getting, the bean yeah. counters hate change. They want oh, things yeah. they can chart, oh, yeah. you know, that they can plot on a graph. 100%. And if you if you introduce a new kind of technology that that uh, they don't have yes. any market data on, uh, they're loath to touch it. Yep. Yep. Every, exactly. Every, every, nobody wants to nobody wants to be on the bleeding edge, and. Uh, I think it's amazing that you took that step. That takes some courage. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's it, it's. Uh, I think it's just something that we just had to do. It's hard to explain why. It's, I just feel we just felt compelled. We just I knew it was possible, and I in my brain I know what what, what this can lead to, and all the different types of uh, different types of experiences that it enables in the future. And it's just too good for us. It's, it's too the potential for education, the, the potential for inspiration. Quite frankly, the potential to to. Um, Make people feel more empowered and, and, and more alive, quite frankly, rather than sitting in front of your computer, staring at the screen, pressing your buttons and just being sitting in the screen. But but if you're standing up and you're like in a virtual world and you're interacting with people and doing things and you're waving your hands around, you're active. You're like it's, – it's really – you are living life. You're living you know, a, a fictional life, like a little piece of – you're taking a little piece of your life and go, okay, I'm going to dive into fiction right now, right? Just like you would dive into a book. Mm-hmm. But when you're when you're reading a really good novel, it's happening in your brain, right? It's all the story is just it's just a flow. You, when you get into a, a reading flow state, you're just the words stop becoming words. Now you're just seeing the story, right? And the words are just this sort of the sort of um, the springboard from which the the story unfolds in your brain, right? Um, and 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 I think that that that's like when you're in consortium VR, that's that's sort of the mentality you should be thinking of being. Like you're just in this these people are in this world. They all Get to pretend it's real. It's just 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 to take part of it, pretend pretend it's real, and and then go with the flow, and then be yourself, and say what you feel, and say what you believe, and then it'll start to click. I think, and you'll start to realize, oh my god, what could be possible with this? Well, like billions of new things, <laughs> an entirely new kind of film, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're you're rather than watching a baked um, film on a screen, instead you have actors that get into these get get motion captured and and get rigged up and and then 
stare at the stare at a camera and act staring at the camera, and then that can be used to basically create these cinematic film experiences where you're you, you are inside the film and you're talking directly to the actors and they're talking directly to you and you're you are basically effectively inside the film and you get to basically play a role and you get to say and do whatever it is you feel you want to say and do and then the experience just naturally forms itself around you and your decisions i mean that that's what essentially what consortium is proving out the the, the core paradigm and the concept and the, the interactive screenplay system that drives it mm-hmm. allows for an ungodly amount of brand new types of entertainment um and, and so you know i i, I mean we're, we're we're just you know we're finishing up finishing the game up and we're probably going to be it's not probably it's 99 at this point percent sure we're going to be announcing the release date on um on halloween and on halloween we'll also be releasing an unspecified thing let's, let's call it for now the new a, a new arg a new alternate reality game specifically designed to to get people into the world and as we're doing something unique for that which we can um yeah, it's 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 something different we're doing that we're hoping will help the the awareness, you know, help help hit the market and be like a, a lightning rod for players that hopefully discover our stuff. And then in, in December, I think December twelfth is going to be the day. Actually, uh, mm-hmm. everything's sort of aligning itself to the point where we're going to the consortium VR will come out of early access. It'll be finished, and consortium remastered will also be will be released at that exact same time. So Quest PC VR and and PC flat screen for the for the remastered version. Um, and then then and then once so move, boom, we hit that, we'll be immediately looking at PS uh, sorry uh, PS two VR, so PlayStation VR two. Uh, for the PC build, we're wow, that's that would be huge if you can get if you get this thing on uh, PlayStation VR. Uh, yeah, it's going to it's going to open broad new vistas. I hope so. We hope so too. I mean, it's, it, there's very few high re, high res high def VR experiences mm-hmm. other than what's shipped on there. There's very few games that have come out afterwards. So yeah, we'll be among the few. You know, be very. Be, don't be that many games released. It will be one of the mm-hmm. few. And I think it'll it will definitely be something completely different than anybody's ever experienced. And it has a lot of meat. And um, yeah, no, we're we, you know we're I think uh, I, I think like the big thing that they had was uh, Star Trek Bridge Crew. You know, right. and then and you haven't. I haven't heard. Uh, I haven't heard of a single really big title for uh, PlayStation VR since then. And I, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure why. Yeah, it's, it's you know they have just, to have been only some. so many companies making VR games. And those that are, I think, are getting funded by a lot of the traditional sources, which means that they're they're basically forced to make the same old games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I see a lot of VR games coming out, and I'm just immediately like, okay, this this game is clearly not really taking advantage of the medium, other than like massive nonstop violence all around me, and you got to like do mm-hmm. all these various ways of killing and destroying things around you. Oh, okay, all right, you know, games have done that forever. <laughs> this, this, yeah, that's what games are good at doing: blowing things up, destroying mm-hmm. stuff, right? But VR in particular, I don't know, maybe it's just personal, but there's something about the idea, like for instance, there's zombie games in VR, like the Walking Dead games, right? Mm-hmm. Which are very impressive productions, I guess, from a purely professional standpoint. I'm, I'm impressed with them as productions, but the actual, the, the game, the games themselves put you into these horribly dark, depressing worlds, zombies everywhere, and then give you these tools like axes and stuff to go up and start chopping them up with, with you know, yourself, going and hacking bodies apart and stuff like that. Which is, which is it, gross. Yeah, <laughs> it it kind of is. I mean, it's right. It's it yeah. seems like. Oh, cool! Blood and guts. Until it's you swinging that axe. Yeah, exactly. Suddenly, exactly it's not right. so much fun. No, and then then you're really catering into kind of a dark side thing. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, you're you're sort of you know letting the you know, the, the mass murderer, a tiny little mass murderer, inside yeah, it's, you out to play for a while, right? Like, okay, it's a, it's wow, a little that's bit. Good thing? Yeah, like, it's a little bit too yeah. um, formulaic. 
Right, formulaic, and it's it's like what other it's what all the other games do. Like regular video games have done that forever. V, VR is a new medium. The fact that it's being treated just like a game console bothers me. Right, like I just mm-hmm. see so many titles coming out, Oculus titles, right now they're getting funded. It's okay, I understand, but this is just like it's a game genre that's successful on flat screens. So they're going to put it in VR, and so oh, it's, it's because it's in VR is better, right? And it's and it's a it's a genre that was successful in flat screens, so it's going to be successful in VR too, right? It must be. Like that seems to be the only mate, the only the only metric they're now applying. If something was successful in flat screen, then maybe it'll do good in VR, so you can get funding. Well, and uh, so an sure awful lot of the titles that you see on um, on the Valve Store, and uh, um, you know, the, on on Steam, I mean, yeah, uh, yep. for for the uh, which is the Valve Store, That's yeah, the Valve Store. A, yeah, there is a Valve Store as well. Uh, HTC Vive um, has uh, has its own thing, right? right and right. Um, you can get a subscription for that. That's kind of neat, and uh, because you can take that. your I'm Quest sure Two and yeah. use uh, Quest Link. <clears throat> And then play yep. anything that you can, you know, anything you subscribe to that runs on a on PC VR, you can use it that way. Right. Yep. Uh, so you're not yep. stuck with whatever uh, uh, Meta is offering in their um, their Quest Two library, which right. is frankly very limited. Uh, but the the preponderance, you know, I forgot where I was going with this. I think it had something to do with with the fact that uh, it's you know it's all. Oh, I remember. An awful lot of the offerings for the uh, for both services for uh, for for all three services really, uh, Steam, uh, um, Viveport, and uh, the Quest, they're either shooters mm-hmm. or they're passive stories where mm-hmm. you know they're interactive storybooks. It's the it's it's the equivalent of a uh, a three D pop up book. Yeah, you know, totally. Or a walking or, or, simulator where you yeah. walk around and hear disembodied voices say things. Yeah, or, 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 or a clicky, you know, a click book. In front of you and then walk away and do something else or whatever. Yeah, or a click, click book that you give to a, yeah. a, a you know, a, a program where yeah. it presents a new frame and you click on things and it does things. It's like busy box programs. <laughs> yep. But there's nothing, nothing bridges the gap the yes. way Consortium does. Nothing does both. And it's, the pieces are all there. And it's obvious yeah. that the industry is seeing the pieces. They're just not putting them together. Yes. And they clearly could if yep. they wanted to, and they're yep. not seeing it. Nope. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, I mean, we're just going to keep fighting the good fight. And, and once, our, once our game is done, we'll just endlessly keep promoting it. And it, as far as they're concerned, you know, it, once it's made, it's made forever. It's a single-player experience, right? So mm-hmm. it's kind of like going back and watching, I don't know, The Guns of Navarone or something. It's an old film. It's still a good film. Right, uh, by some metrics or whatever, whatever. Pick any old film that's really like Wizard of Oz, right? Ancient film, right? But it's yeah. still viable mm-hmm. to watch right now. You can still go to streaming services and watch it. People are probably still watching it right now somewhere, right? I mean, it's just one of those things. So this is why I'm like, we're yes, we're, we're we exactly feel the same way you do. It's pretty clearly obvious to me where this is eventually going to go, and ours being an example of where of, of very much that. We're just going to solidify the crap out of it, you know, finish our polishing pass of it, and do our best to, to market the crap out of it best we can, and and uh, release it, and then keep promoting it endlessly. We have we have a sequel already well along the way. The mm-hmm. consortium in the tower, which was started off as a flat screen game, is now being is now going to be VR. It's it's going to the, the the code base of consortium VR. The moment we hit 1.0, uh, consortium the tower is coming right over into that, and we've already solved all of the problems. We've already, so in, in one fell swoop, eventually the tower will become this will become uh, the sequel to consortium VR. It'll also be VR, way bigger though right you're mm-hmm. exploring this huge skyscraper in london in the future um and just way more freedom have you have you thought about um yeah, have, you thought, though. have you thought about upgrading the, the graphics 
Well, the the, the tower is going to be in U, UE5, right? So we're uh-huh. the whole thing's coming into UE5 three. Uh, so, uh, you, 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 so you yes. almost can't help yourself. It's gonna it's gonna force you It'll to make shine choices. Way better. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because like nanite and 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 lumen. I mean, these are these are powerful tools. Lumen especially is just an amazing lighting system. So it's just going to make everything look fantastic, right? Um, well, and uh, uh, yeah. nanite is a system by which um, you build your geometry however you like, and yep. it will decimate it and make decisions on how to uh, how to present that to the uh, viewing frustrum. Uh, yep. continuously based, based on settings yep based yep. on settings and you don't have to have levels of detail you know that yeah. that that yep. annoying thing where yes. you get back <laughs> to a certain distance and all of a sudden pop you know you you see the uh, the thing in the distance has just dropped to a lower resolution yep. yeah but now that's the thing of the past for yeah, sure it's all gone it's definitely, it's, yeah. you can create assets with millions of polygons and yep. the engine just handles it. Yep. It's just astonishing. And now what is Lumen? What does that system do? That's 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 the global illumination system. It's a real oh, real Right, fire. right. So it, it, it just means that so like emissive surfaces will, will actually light the area around automatically. You know, mm-hmm. like if you have a if you have a sunlight, it, the bouncing is is, is like some magically done. Like any light will bounce up will have will have lots of but like well, any light you put in will bounce correctly. The light will bounce more realistically around the world, right? So it just essentially is much more of a realistic. Um, you have to do less. You don't have to. You have to do less stuff with like trickery, light trickery and stuff to get things to look good. It's just right, sort of right, real. Just, right, just, because uh, it's, it's a, the way you had to do it, the way you had lighting. to do it before is you had to bake those, uh, bake the illumination oh, yeah, into the textures. Long, yeah, yes, and right. you don't have to do that anymore. No, it's all real time if, if, you're, if you're using just uh, a, yeah. freaking yeah. astonishing, just yep. astonishing. And then yeah, there's this amazing, yeah. this whole splatter. Uh, but you know, your question of why uh, no it, no one else is doing this is a really good one, and I'm not sure I fully know the answer to that. I've got theories, a couple couple of them I threw out, but that's actually a fascinating topic in itself. Like, I'm curious what you think. You know, you're kind of you play in our experience. You're you're, clearly, you're a believer in what you know what we're doing and the potential of it and stuff. What do you think? How can you think no one else is doing this? How can you think? You think it's just as I say, like commercial momentum? Uh, you know, the, I, partly. I, I think part of it is is that the uh, the developers can't quite wrap their brains around the multidimensional thinking that it requires to come up with a, mm. a, a story that is uh, not a linear path with some alternate loops, but that grows organically like uh, uh, in, in a fractal way. Um, you mm-hmm. do, there aren't very many developers that can, that can conceptualize this. There aren't many writers that can work at that level. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you know that you That's have right. one, <laughs> yes, and, and, I do. and Steve is just an absolute genius. Actually, he, yeah, Steve, yeah. he's yeah. he's very very talented. Uh, and yes. you know, I've, and and Ryan Sheffer as well. I yeah. have to mention both of them. Those are, uh-huh. those are the two hidden geniuses of Friday GI. Like, I you know, being able to work with both of them is just an absolute delight. <laughs> Seriously, they're both geniuses in their own way. And I, you know, um, you know, I, I was saying I recently heard that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yes. I love that saying. Yes, yes. <laughs> now, I, I spent much of my much of my career being the smartest person in the room, and uh, it wasn't until I got to work at a major film studio, Rhythm and Hue Studios, now mm. gone more than uh, ten years ago, uh, that I got the opportunity to not be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> I was in heaven. I was in absolute right? heaven. Right, because you learn so much. Yeah. Right. Just yeah. Anyway, I think them. it. I yeah. think it comes down to uh, the inability to function in a fractal way. In, you, you need a fractal, a fractally oriented writer in order so. to work with something like this. And there aren't that many of them. 
It's, yeah, a, it's, no. a, it's a difficult mode to work in. Heck, I'm working on a fantasy novel, and uh, I'm having trouble with just uh, getting my characters from the beginning to the end and going through like three or four subplots, and that's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I've got mm-hmm. uh, 250 pages to fill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and then doing that for uh, uh, doing that for a game is going to be an order of magnitude harder. And to especially if you want, it's different, uh, that's for sure. It's yeah. different. Yeah, I mean, as far as harder, it's like harder. I guess to conceptualize it to begin with. But the moment you get your head around it, and uh-huh. then it, it's it's not that hard. Like, it's it's about it's about looking at it under a certain light, right? So mm-hmm. the way we look at building a game like Consortium is it's it's not it's not like a film. It's not like it's basically it's just a place with people in it, and those people are all doing things at any given moment. They all have their own agenda. What they, what are they working on? What are they doing? And and then the, we set that in motion. Everybody's then doing that stuff over time. Oh. And then we, we essentially have it so that the players that go into that world, then it's up to them to figure out how they want to interact with all these people doing stuff. So you can you can any given order. It, you know, essentially though that the whole thing is still gated by player action, right? So the mm-hmm. player is still the one that effectively moves the story forward. It's not like you can just stand in one place and everything just happens around you. And you do nothing. <laughs> you right, have right. to actually yeah. do something. You have to walk around at least and like you know maybe interact with a couple people a little bit, to sort of put to move the story along. But it, the order at which you do things and what you choose to say can, can – can, many times you'll say something and then the game will remember that you said that. I just had an epiphany on mm-hmm. how this actually works. You don't think of it in terms of one big uh, decision tree. That doesn't work. You can't conceptualize it that way. You yeah. have to build your characters – one at a time, and each of them has their own environment and decision trees and responses and yes. how they react to things. Correct. And then you set a you set a global goal, and it's up to the care the the player to navigate through all of these various interactions with yep. the with the uh, with the independent uh, non player agents to get to that goal, and and yet yep. each individual character. Has its own uh, its own tree of dendrites, so to speak, where mm-hmm. each node is a potential reaction or a potential decision mm-hmm. uh, to greater or lesser degrees of detail. So it's not just yes. one big tree; yeah, it's a not. swarm of independently operating clusters of them. Exactly. That's exactly now, correct. Now yeah. I get it. Yeah. Now I get and they're it. All connected by a thread. So there's a, oh, there is an overall narrative thread going on, but it is a whole collection of trees. They're all put together. And then the players has the, the freedom to decide how to navigate those trees however they want. Right? This is why this is why you don't have any competition. <laughs> That's why. Because you know, if if it took me uh we've been talking for almost an hour, and if it took me that long to figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose you no, know, it's, and I'm not a dumb guy. Yeah. and if it took me that no. long to figure it yeah, out, no, no, it definitely. Not. Uh, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> number of the number of I, writers. I love talking to Eugene because it's you. Uh, you're an awesome sounding board. Like uh, you get a lot of what we're doing, but you're also outside of it enough that I love hearing your perspectives. It really does. I find it wonderful. <laughs> I find your perspectives to be very thought provoking. So thank you, ladies wonderful and gentlemen. We have been talking to Gregory A. McMartin of Interdimensional Games Incorporated. Uh, the 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 game that we have been discussing the mechanics of is called Consortium VR. The sequel is uh, tell me again the tower. 
Consortium the Tower, yeah. Consortium the Tower. To Consortium Which... VR, and it's actually out of early access now too. You could you could buy and play. It's a look. I know we've we've been. It's a confusing thing that we're doing, but yes, that, that is a sequel that will eventually become VR, the VR sequel as well. Right now it's flash screen, but it's be, it'll be turning into VR. Awesome. And <laughs> yes. then and then uh, in a few more months you're going to have uh... Whispers from the Rift as well. Uh huh. Is coming out. That, that's a that's a prequel. That's a massive interactive novel. 150 different endings. It's a, it's a, it's a prequel to the to both those games. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank <laughs> you again for joining me on this Thank episode you. of the Event Horizon here on Sci-Fi Radio. It has been a real pleasure. It has been for me as well. Thank you so much, Gene. You have been listening to episode 264 of Sci-Fi Radio's weekly production of the Event Horizon for Saturday, September 23rd, 2023. Our guest this evening has been the president of Interdimensional Games, Mr. Gregory A. McMartin. We have been discussing the games Consortium VR, Consortium The Tower, and other games in that series, along with the current state of the art in virtual reality role-playing games. This episode will air again tomorrow, September 24th at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, and again on the following Thursday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all of the airtimes have passed, you will be able to download this episode as a podcast from iTunes, Pandora, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and from our own website at sci-fi.radio. Sci-fi.radio is listener-supported sci-fi geek culture radio, and the vast majority of our funding comes from listeners just like you. If you enjoy programming like what you just heard, please visit patreon.com slash sci-fi radio and give generously. It will help keep the station on the air, and it is vital. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was sci-fi illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. The captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. Sci-Fi.Radio's The Event Horizon is copyright 2023 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon on Sci-Fi.Radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.